Hey there, Edu friends. Welcome to the PL Playbook Podcast, a show about all things related to professional learning and education. I'm your host, Jackie Weinkoop, proud Pennsylvania educator, secondary instructional coach, and co-founder of Belfont Reads, a dedicated group of book lovers with a mission to put quality books in the hands of children and families. I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. We all know how important it is for teachers to empower their students, but it's equally as important for us to ensure that our teachers feel empowered as well. In just a minute, you'll be able to hear how today's special guest does just that. Okay, so I would like to welcome Pennsylvania educator and instructional coach, Ken Ehrman, to the podcast. So Ken, can you start off just by sharing a little bit about yourself to listeners? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am Right now, I serve as a secondary instructional coach for my school district, Penridge School District, which is a little bit northwest of Philadelphia. Uh, my time as a classroom teacher was primarily spent as a fifth grade teacher. I started teaching math to the entire grade level, which was three homerooms, and then reading and language arts to my own homeroom. Did that for, I think, four years, and then I transitioned into being a self-contained fifth grade teacher. So I was able to then teach science and social studies. And honestly, that progression of teaching really helped me develop my craft and, and who I am as an educator now, because at the beginning, teaching only math, it was a large focus of my instruction, my, my prep, the way I started to use stations, the way I started to flip my classroom, and, and the way I ended with kind of personalizing the learning that my students engaged with. Um, and then transitioning into being self-contained, it was kind of like a revitalization for me because I loved teaching science and social studies. That's where project-based learning became a huge passion of mine. Uh, really taking our units and breaking it apart into projects that students explored on their own and, and created um, products and videos and different things to showcase their learning. So that progression really helped me fine tune my craft and also kind of um, now helps me as a secondary instructional coach. So I'm working with our middle school and high school teachers. And although I come from the elementary world and I have those barriers to break down at times, I also have taught every subject. And so my secondary, my other secondary coach colleagues come from that world. So one is an English teacher, one is a math teacher, and they're both unbelievable. I have the best teammates. Um, but I think at times teaching every subject has kind of given me that perspective of, you know, that jack of all trades idea. Well, and we have very similar backgrounds. Not sure if you knew that, but I also taught fifth grade. Um, I was never self-contained though. I used to teach all of the um, different subject areas. I also taught fourth grade. But then I was asked to move into the secondary instructional coaching role. Mm -hmm. And of course, like I had personally had reservations because I wasn't a content expert per mm -hmm. se, and I never taught at the secondary level, but uh, it actually was pretty seamless because I feel like the secondary teachers are kind of craving those strategies that a lot of times at elementary, we just incorporate so seamlessly. So that's awesome. So, and I'm, I should mention, Ken and I are actually sitting in the Hershey Lodge um, because we are both here for the SAS Constitute, put, or I'm sorry, SAS Institute put on by the PA Department of Education. Mm -hmm. And you're also a former PA Teacher of the Year finalist. So if you want to share anything about that, that yes. would be great too. Uh, so this is my first time back. This is where they recognize the 12 finalists of the state and award the Teacher of the Year winner. So in 2019, I was a, I was a finalist. I did not win. 
which was a, a good and bad thing because the, the winner has a big responsibility <laughs> in front of them. It's an honor, obviously, to win, um, but it is a, a big undertaking that they, they take on to represent uh, Pennsylvania educators. So 2019, I was a finalist. My favorite part of that story is, and I shared this in, our, in the session that you attended today, my journey started on the last day of school. My homeroom that year presented me with the nomination form that was signed by every parent in that homeroom. And so that was incredibly humbling and was kind of my driving force through the process of, of wanting to win, um, you know, getting through the different stages, becoming a finalist. The, the um, Teacher of the Year Committee does an amazing job recognizing the finalists, you know, making us feel uh, really valuable and, and humbled. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget when I was here, the, the day that they award the winner, they invite an administrator and they invite a invite a, a student that can come and speak on your behalf before the big ceremony in front of everybody that we saw. And the student that came was one of the students from that nominating class. And at the lunch, the mom who kind of like led the, the nomination initially, she was the homeroom mom of that class. She apologized to my wife and I because she had no idea that there was a year of responsibilities or really two years of responsibilities that come right. with being the teacher of the year winner. And she said, well, I hope you win. But she's like, I don't know if I want you to win because she said, I feel so bad. You have a newborn kid. I didn't know you yeah. had to do all this. So it, it was a great experience and, and I'm really happy to be back and help celebrate the finalists of this year. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad that they invite like former finalists, mm -hmm. former, um, even, you know, those that end up winning um, to kind of lead the ceremonies. That right. was really special to see. So also, so your coach, you were also a um, PA uh, Teacher of the Year finalist. Mm -hmm. And the way I connected with you, I don't even know if you know this, is a couple of years ago, maybe it wasn't even that long ago, I attended one of your sessions at some conference. I can't remember which one it was, and ended up following you on Twitter and then started listening to your podcast. And then I started a podcast. So when I saw you were going to be here, I was like, hey, can I interview you for my podcast? Because as coaches, we provide a lot of professional learning. And mm -hmm. that's really what I want to discuss today. So mm -hmm. really this, this conversation is open to whatever you want it to be. So we have our listeners out there. Everybody that's listening has a vested interest in improving professional learning for educators. So what do you want to share just about your experiences, not only receiving, you know, being on the receiving end of professional learning, but also now really providing a lot right. of professional learning. Yeah. So I, I've been doing professional development for a while now, just started presenting at conferences. I don't really know why I just wanted to, wanted to share what I do and try to help teachers. And I really developed a fuel and a, and a passion for it. Um, uh, since 2015, I've been teaching graduate level courses that have a focus on mostly integrating technology into the classroom, uh, some, some STEM professional development uh, and, and that was a, a passion of mine for a while. I've presented a lot of technology conferences. Um, and, and lately, I think when I, when I transitioned into being a coach, I realized that technology was never my passion. It was student-centered learning that was my passion. And I, a lot of times, use technology to fuel that or to increase engagement. Um, but that's always been a, a passion of mine in, in encouraging. And that's what a lot of the professional development I've done lately is is focused on how we empower our students to be more intrinsically motivated. How as the teacher, we create systems in our classroom to set up student-centered learning, to increase that intrinsic motivation, to differentiate for students, to meet their needs, um, just to create an atmosphere where students are excited to learn. And that was, you know, that was always my goal. And, and a keynote presentation that I gave in August, you know, the theme was empowering experiences. And it's 
how do you transform everything that you do in your classroom to be an empowering experience for students? And that's really, you know, a lot of the professional development I do circles around that. Today, the session that you sat in on was kind of about that. It was more about one small asset of that. Um, but that's that's the overall goal. And and my 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 goal when I do professional development is it depends on it depends on the setting. So at a conference, it's typically more lecture based. Um, it's just not logistically possible to set up, you know, activities and, and things for for the attendees to do, frankly, because they're not expecting that. And that's not what they want when they come to a conference like this. And so I try to create my lecture to be more story based, really give a lot of examples give concrete things that they can walk away with, but also weave it into a story of, of progression and growth and showing how it is obtainable, but also maybe a little bit inspirational. Um, same with my keynotes. I, I try to hit that, that sweet spot there. Uh, but when it comes to facilitating professional development for a full day, for an after-school faculty meeting, I think the, the thing that I always look for is how can we model what we're talking about? Whether it's kinesthetic instruction, it's small group, it's uh, developing relationships, it's modeling. So if I'm going to talk about a particular strategy, I'm going to model that. If I'm going to talk about doing station rotations, the teachers are going to come in and they're going to rotate through stations. If I'm talking about differentiation, I'm going to collect some sort of data before the session or at the beginning of the session, and I'm going to group them and differentiate the instruction so they see that. And so a lot of times what I'd like to do is deliver professional content through um, through the lens of them being a student. So I'm not going to bring teachers together and teach them how to add fractions or teach them how to write a text dependent analysis, but I'm going to teach them some sort of professional level content. You know, maybe it's professional articles or it's um, instructional strategies, but I'm going to organize it through how my classroom would look as if they're a group of fifth graders or they're a group of 10th graders. And that's really what I like to do when I'm working with teachers in a more intimate environment of professional learning. Well, and you are kind of, that, that's fantastic. Um, I kind of want to go back to something you said at the beginning though, which was your whole focus is just like the student being empowered an mm -hmm. empowered learner. So as someone who provides professional learning to educators, how do you translate that to like what types of strategies or ideas or ways that you facilitate professional learning do you empower teachers in that same way that you would empower the students? I think one of the biggest things is just reminding them that they are educated professionals mm -hmm. and we have at least a bachelor's degree, most likely a master's degree, possibly a doctorate or, or somewhere in the middle of those and that no one knows their students best except for them. And so when, I, <clears throat> when I'm modeling strategies or I'm talking about something that they can incorporate into their classroom, I will start with uh, remind them in the middle and end with, you know, your students best. Here's an idea. Here's a strategy that I used in my classroom, or I've used with another teacher in this classroom. I want you to analyze this and tell me how can you utilize this in your classroom with your students you have right now? How would it be different last year? And how is it potentially going to be different next year? And so facilitating those conversations to get teachers to realize that one, we have the ability to, and two, we have the responsibility to look at these things and apply them to our own classroom. We can't, so I, I'm trying to empower them, but also like um, get rid of the negativity. Like, oh, that doesn't work for my classroom. Okay, why? How can you, how can you modify that to work for your classroom? Because there's not gonna be one thing that fits all, but it is our professional responsibility to make those adjustments 
but teachers also need to be encouraged and empowered to remember that they have that professional judgment to be able to do that. Well, and you're really hitting on what I think is foundational for an instructional coach is that when you're working with teachers and collaborating, whatever that collaboration looks like, you know, you may have in your mind what they should do or what they need to do, but the goal as a coach is through those conversations and one-on-ones to guide them to that realization on your own. So right. you're going to provide the support. You may provide some resources for them to consider, but in the end, you want to empower the teacher to make those decisions and, you know, develop those next steps on their own with your guidance. You're right. not telling them here's what you need to do. Yeah. And you have to, you have to read your audience, you know, especially if you're working more on a one-on-one -on -one environment with teachers, I have some that I work with that say, I love, you know, I saw this in your session. I love that. Can you do that with me? And they're pretty much saying like, can you design the lesson for me and let me watch, or okay. can I do it with you? Others are, they have a very specific question that they want me to answer. And it's my job to just answer that question and not try to push it down a path that I see as fit more of be there to support them until they ask for more or they say, well, what do you think? when they leave that open-ended question out there as a coach. Yeah. And, and something else that you said too, um, going back at the beginning was just the fact that the teacher is really the expert. Like mm -hmm. you're, you are valuing their experience as an educator, their education level. And in a really early podcast, I curated some tweets. Somebody had posted something on Twitter and I don't remember who it was, but they basically asked the question, you know, what can we do to make professional learning better for educators? And of course, I was very curious <laughs> as someone who started a podcast on professional learning. So there were like literally hundreds of responses. And what came out loud and clear was that teachers want to be recognized as the professionals they truly are. And I think sometimes that's often forgotten mm -hmm. in, you know, the professional development planning process that a lot of times we do things to teachers instead of with teachers or involve them as part of the process. And you know, they have a lot of expertise that they're bringing to the table. And as coaches specifically, like we're just trying to kind of coax that out of them sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think I, I think something that lacks is just being explicit, whether it's teachers being explicit with their kids or leaders being explicit with the teachers. You know, I, I, when I was in my classroom and I used data and we had, you know, Google form checks to see where the students were at, I told them exactly why we did that. I told them exactly how I looked at it, I shared the results, as long, except for pretests, I didn't share that because they typically bombed it and they didn't need to see that. <laughs> um, but when it was a mid-unit check, I wanted them to see the data like, oh, wow, I am, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this class. I am where I'm supposed to be at or, oh, wow, I didn't do so hot. So I guess Mr. Armand's going to work with me a little bit extra on this. I wanted the students to be completely aware of why I was doing that. And I showed them how it changed the way I taught the class, how it changed the way I facilitated the class. And with teachers, I think we need to be just as explicit. I explicitly say to them, you are the classroom expert. Mm -hmm. As secondary teachers, you're the content expert. Yes. As the classroom teacher, you should know your students better than I do. So I can bring ideas to you or I can bring you know, solutions to you, but you need to tell me if it's going to work or not. Um, and you know, when I plan things, like a, 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 I ran a session on doing escape rooms in the classroom, mm -hmm. and I've had a couple of teachers that wanted to do it with me. I said, I'll plan the whole thing for you. You're much busier than I am with, with your classroom, but you have to give me the content and then I'll pull all the creativity and the puzzles and I'll, and I'll make it, you know, that, that escape room piece, but you're going to provide me the content and then I'm going to make it work from there. And so, you know, the teachers that I've really been able to foster relationships with, um, you know, I have a, I have a stat teacher that I work with now, well, I'm a high school math teacher, but he has mostly stat this year. 
we're at the point where he's like, hey, I have this unit coming up. Here's what the students do. Let me know what you think. Mm -hmm. And he's just looking for me to give a different creative spin on it. Last year, we completely redesigned the last month of his classroom and changed the final from being a test to being a, a hands-on project. So in those cases, it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same situation because it sounds like we have very similar roles, but that's kind of the best part is when you're able to work with the teacher over an extended period of time where, I mean, it's a full on collaboration now between mm -hmm. the two of you. Like he's reaching out to you, right. To get support, to bounce ideas off of. And a lot of times as teachers, you know, teachers are in silos. I don't often have times to collaborate. You know, there's mm -hmm. little pockets of time here and there. So to have somebody like you to be able to go with, to go with, go to and collaborate and to network and to brainstorm ideas is always great. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Okay. So what about, I, I'm also realistic as a coach. I don't work with every teacher in the mm -hmm. building. So I don't know if it is the same structure in your district, but in our district, uh, coaching is not forced on anyone. So mm -hmm. it's not like, hey, you got a poor eval. Maybe you should go work with the coach. It's right. completely just reach out to the coach if you need support. And of course, we're putting things out there. And we definitely, we provide professional learning, you know, full group sessions on PL days. Uh, we do some small group work, but that individual one-on-one -on -one is really just as the teachers reach out. So what are some ways that you as a coach try to like connect with the teachers that maybe are more resistant to coaching or trying something new? It's definitely the hardest part of coaching. Yes. And, um, you know, for, for me, it's been a lot of developing relationships just because they didn't really know who I was, even though I was in the same district, um, just coming from the elementary world, especially come high school, they didn't, they didn't really know who I was too much. Um, so fostering relationships, uh, a lot of follow-up. So any, our teachers have to attend a certain number of hours of professional learning, and, but they, we provide a lot of different choices. So they attended throughout the year on a, on a choice-based matter. Um, I'm trying to be much better with following, consistently following up with those attendees. So two weeks later, thanks for attending my session on, you know, designing breakout rooms. Like, let me know if you want me to come in and, and plan something with you. Cause a lot of times teachers just need that reminder of something they attended because they attend it, they like it, then they go home. And then the next day yeah. they're, they're back in the, in the grind. So follow-up I think is, is key. Um, asking teachers that I work with to talk me up to their colleagues, Yeah, I do. That you know, too. talk <laughs> me up with your team members say, Hey, you know, I did this thing with Ken. It really went, went well. Like, you know, Maybe you can do that same thing with him. Maybe there's something else that you can do with him. Um, just, you know, leveraging those relationships, I think, is key. Um, and <clears throat> and the last thing, I think, is just, just trying to be as present as possible. Yeah. Um, I've actually, one teacher I worked with, I was sitting in the copier room actually waiting to make copies myself. And it turned into a 20-minute conversation. I said, maybe I should sit in the copy room more often. <laughs> You know, just yeah. finding places where you can catch teachers and just have conversations with them, yeah. I think is really important. Oh, hello. Oh, pardon me. Hi. No, we have a, we're recording a podcast here. So we just had a visitor in here. Um, no, no worries. You're good. So yeah, I think those are all great ideas and strategies for um, connecting with some of those teachers that might be more resistant. And I completely agree that being present is a hundred percent key. Mm -hmm. Um, as coaches, we need to put ourselves out there, get out there. And I, I don't know about you, you're only secondary, but. And I technically am too, but this year I've been tasked more with working K to 12 and that mm -hmm. really has put constraints on my time. Mm -hmm. And so that has affected, you know, the level of visibility that I have within my district. Right. Um, but as much as possible, I try to make sure that I'm visible and I'm out and about. So, right. and, and honestly, like you said, those are some of the best places to just kind of have those off the cusp conversations with teachers that really do lead to one-on-one right. -on -one connections. 
Um, another thing you said was just that follow-up. And mm -hmm. I think follow-up is really key too, because um, one of the key things I talked about in this podcast as a key component to quality professional learning for educators is that it's not one and done. And so it's really important that, yeah, we might have the session on a PL day and you're right. Teachers go back to their rooms. Things are crazy. We know how much is on everyone's plate. Unless you are kind of implementing that right after, it's easy to forget it. So mm -hmm. I think that follow-up piece and offering to continue support is mm -hmm. key. Another another thing along with that, um, my two colleagues, um, this was their idea, but we've really run with it as a, as a team, is we do a make and take session. So it's literally come to make and take something away with you. So mm -hmm. teachers have to come with the ideas and they... So we, we've done it two ways. One is every professional learning day district-wide that we have, about a week to two weeks after we just have a, you know, one was our one was on October 10th. October 10th, make and take. And so they can come and put into practice and create something that they learned at that. Um, two, some of our, our sessions we develop as a series. So we have one that we did on being creators in the classroom. How do you get students to create through the learning process more instead of creating after the learning process. And then we did a follow, or we're going to be doing a follow-up make and take to that. So the first one was more learning and experiencing. And then yeah. the second one will be creating a lesson or a project or an activity mm -hmm. for the students to do that. So giving them that time, I think is key too. Yeah, that's super critical. We often, we can't do it with all, but when we have our choice sessions, we often offer like a part one, part two. So come and learn about this, but then, hey, session two, stay and apply mm -hmm. it. Or we might offer it, the next professional learning day to kind of extend the learning. Mm -hmm. So that's really key. Um, speaking about kind of extending the learning. So one of the things you didn't mention when you, when you introduced yourself is that you actually do do keynotes mm -hmm. and you do go into districts to provide professional learning. So if you could take a few minutes before we get to kind of our final questions here, like what does that look like? Um, because I think you offer as a presenter something unique that a lot of other uh, educators who provide keynotes don't offer. So if you could talk about that for a minute. So, uh, yeah, I, like I said, uh, professional development is something I've been passionate about and more recently been doing more broad scope of professional development. Not, so not going in to train someone on how to use iPads, um, but going into last year, I worked with a school that transitioned into block scheduling. So I worked with their teachers for three days on, you know, how to rethink uh, a 90 minute lesson, how to create some differentiation in there. So we did a lot of more broad scoping instructional practices in there. Um, keynoting is something I really enjoy. I think that I'm able to deliver a different message than than most because I'm still in yeah. in the classroom somewhat, you know, as a coach. But in that, in the grind of being a teacher, um, this past year I opened up a district with with a keynote, and it was well, it was very well received. And you know that that mentality of I'm going to bring stories and I'm going to try to be inspirational. But it was also described as aspirational, something that is obtainable to to reach. And I provide flat out concrete examples of things that I did or I do in my classroom. And so, you know, being very explicit with with the audience, I, I think I had a nice combination of that um, to follow up with that. I do plan full days of professional development for schools. I can work with the entire staff or, or a small set of them doing one day or, or multiple days throughout the year and then something I've been doing this year is going back for embedded coaching. Yeah. So I'm there for professional learning. And then about two weeks later, I come back, work with the teachers, work with the principal and developing a schedule. And I'm in there and I'm either modeling lessons, co-teaching with teachers, or um, even just sitting down and having a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one conversation with the teacher on how to put into practice things that they're learning from me. 
Um, the, the modeling is the thing I love the most, you know, the school I was at recently, I had all five fifth grade teachers in the classroom watching me deliver a fifth grade math lesson. Yeah. And so I was able to meet with them prior to talk to them about what I was going to deliver. We planned it a little bit together or we planned the concepts that I was going to teach. And I told them, you know, as a group, think about everything that you want to observe, student interactions, student behavior that's not with me, a small group, uh, the instruction I'm providing in the small group work, but then kind of like divide out what you're going to watch. And so take the whole lesson in, but you know, this teacher is going to focus purely on student um, engagement when they're working independently. This teacher is going to work view solely on, you know, engagement in the small group lessons. So they can actually have like a little bit of data to come back and, and compare and share with the, with each other. So I love working with teachers I've never met before. It's like a fun challenge um, <laughs> because you have to read the audience. You have to read the culture immediately, but then try to really personalize it to what they're looking for. Well, and we're, we're, you know, teachers in our districts are really fortunate. I feel like to have instructional coaches, and a but lot and a lot don't. Yeah. So I am not always an advocate for like someone just coming in and doing a keynote and then leaving, but that's why I like what you offer because mm. yeah, you can come in and you can do the keynote, but then you come back and you apply it and you're working right. directly with the teacher. So great. Okay. So last couple of questions here before we wrap it up mm -hmm. and then I'll have you share your contact information sure. so people can reach out to you if they're sure. interested in connecting with you. Um, so I always ask these three questions at the end of my interview. First one is what's the best professional learning experience without providing any identifying info. I'm sorry, what's the worst professional learning experience you've had either as a presenter or as a participant and what made it so bad? The worst was in my district, we used to meet as a grade level and we were all departmentalized across the district. And I remember sitting in a one hour mandatory session that was all about fifth grade science. And I did not teach fifth grade science mm -hmm. for one second. Mm -hmm. And it was a complete waste of my time. Yeah. And the epiphany moment for me was, okay, this is why I have to differentiate in my classroom. And as a facilitator, I will always make sure that I differentiate when necessary. Yeah. And so it's really been, I, I've never forgotten that. And I can tell, I can say that I've never created that environment that I sat in as a, as a, uh, as a attendee. And I agree that some of the worst professional learning experiences that, you know, uh, administrators or leaders can provide is when it's not really relevant right. to your attendees. Right. So. And it wasn't even that the content was bad. It was just yeah. our, our lack of supervisors were forced to follow this regimented schedule of fifth grade has to get together once a month, regardless of what you have to talk about. And so their hand was forced. It was just a bad system put into place. Okay. And then what about the worst? Briefly describe that for me. The best. Oh, the best. Yes. <laughs> I have it backwards um, here. The yes. best, the, the best, best for Thank me you. is, um, I was nominated to be a part of experience called Keystone Innovators yeah, Summit. KTI. And it was, yeah, it was just the best. It, great relationships, great atmosphere, um, great professional development, just a just a great experience overall. Yeah, I love KTI, mm -hmm. PNC, definitely. Yep. If you're a PA educator, that definitely look into that. All right, let's hope I can get this last one right. Okay. okay. If you could only provide one piece of advice to those that plan professional learning experiences for educators, what would it be? Model the concepts you're going to teach. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to, I don't care what it is, model what you're going to teach. So teach some level of content, but make sure you're modeling the strategies that you're trying to teach to the teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, Ken, thank you so much for chatting with me today. If you mm -hmm. could just, before we leave, 
share your contact information. How can people connect with you? How can they find out more information about the professional learning services that you provide? Sure. So thank you for the time. Thanks for having me. Uh, the best way is uh, just spell my name, K-E-N-E-H-R-M-A-N-N. So that's on Twitter. That's my handle. And then that's my website, kenherman.org. So if you go to that website, you'll be able to email me directly. You can email me and say, hey, I want to I call you and talk to you about this idea. I would gladly do that. But that's just the easiest way to find me is my website. And how can they find your podcast? My podcast is called Powered Up. Um, we have conversations with educators from across the country. Show 100 is coming out very wow. soon, um, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just unbelievable conversations with a lot of teachers of the years, a lot of teacher of the year finalists, a lot of authors just talking. It's unscripted, organic conversation like we're having here, just talking about how you can do best by students, how you can um, do best in your classroom, a lot of different instructional approaches, which has been really cool, but uh, all with the same goal of just making it the best experience for, for teachers or for students possible. So um, you can find that on my website as well, a link to that, but it's uh, also you can find it at anchor.fm slash powered up. Okay. Well, I hope you all check out Ken's podcast. I hope you check out his website and consider inviting him into your district to uh, talk with your teachers. And Ken, I hope you have a great rest of the conference. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much. All right, friends, that music means we've entered the takeaway time portion of this podcast. So what's your takeaway from today's episode? Take a minute to reflect and then post your thoughts on Twitter using the hashtag PLPlaybookPodcast. Okay, so that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed listening and I encourage you to share this episode with any colleagues you feel might be interested. As a reminder, you can find me on Twitter at LitCoachJackieW. Want to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future episode topics? Take a minute to fill out the Google form found on my podcast page. Since my next episode won't be released until after the holiday, I hope you enjoy this extra special time away from school, drinking some hot cocoa, enjoying a good book, binging your favorite shows, and most importantly, spending cherished time with family. Until next time, Edge of Friends. <laughs>